Things are happening fast and furious at the state capitol where there have been heated debates over whether students can be forced to wear masks or if parents have the right to review sexually explicit assignments, as well as debate over pro-life issues. Where is all this going to land? Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, and I'm joined today by our president, Victoria Cobb. Well, this week has been a really interesting ride at the state capitol. I mean, we've had some huge mountaintop victories, which we're going to talk about in a minute. You know, we had something interesting happen on the whole marriage issue. We're going to get into that. But we've also seen some real spiritual battle as well, right? Yeah. I mean, certainly in some of these committee rooms, you always sort of feel the light, dark, battle that's going on. But I will say what's most interesting actually happening at the Capitol a lot of times is not what you catch on the, you know, folks are watching it online or something. It's not actually what happens in, in the committee. It's what's happening after it ends. And, you know, people are really heated about a matter or when it moves out to the hallway. That's actually when, been what's interesting this week. Take it out to the hallway. Yeah. I, our legislators, you know, I have to be honest, I, you know, People talk about civility and how that has changed in our society. People are just not as kind to each other. And unfortunately, I'm seeing that even in our elected officials when they, there are some that are getting really upset that their bills are being defeated and they are being defeated by our team. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'll take credit that our team is doing their job to take bad ideas and make sure people vote against them. But then when the committee's over, these legislators are really kind of coming at our team in pretty vicious Please. And specifically, when you talk about our team, we're talking about Josh Hetzler, our legal counsel, and Todd Gacky, director of government relations. And those two really took the heat this week. Tell us what happened with them. Yeah, I mean, you know, there there was a bill on polygamous marriage. We'll talk about that a little bit more in detail afterwards, but, um, you know, later in the show. But I'll, I'll tell you, you know, that hearing ends and I was sitting in the back room and Josh had done a great job and he was just laying out the facts in his testimony. But boy, when it ended, uh, the legislator that had patroned the bill came to Josh with, I mean, anger in his face. And he went right at him and he started with, you guys claim the name of Christ and you aren't loving because, you know, unfortunately, people confuse acceptance of anything as love. Right. So they think you have to accept everything if you love somebody, which is such a unfortunate confusion because it'll take you down a lot of bad roads. But he came right at him about his faith and that if you are a person of faith, then you should be in favor of, I guess, marriage for anybody. Um, but it was an aggressive approached and it was funny a reporter was sitting nearby so it did a piece of it made it into an article which I wasn't expecting but. it actually so this guy was really yelling at Josh wouldn't you say yes. and I think we can talk about it was representative Sickles yeah. and who identifies as gay right? yeah so it's um, personal yeah I he, get that he took it personally and this incident was reported in multiple outlets I saw it in several papers. Yeah. And I, you know, it's terrible when you joke with your team because, I mean, we were kind of afterwards sort of talking about it and we said, well, that was actually better and a little milder than the previous week's incident. So we had also had just the week before on the casino bill, um, Senator Morrissey is really passionate about casinos. And um, that testimony had happened. And after it was done, our team's out there, you know, in the back. And boy, Senator Morrissey came at our team. And I will tell you, that one was 
we'll just say laced with some profanity um, to the point the Capitol Police paid attention. I was a little worried that one was I actually expected to see that one in the news. But Senator Morrissey had said something worse to somebody else. So that's actually what made it in the news. So I don't know. Right now, it's just but our team does. People don't realize they really do take very aggressive attacks and not just from opponents in the audience, people that come to testify on the other side of the bill, but actually from legislators themselves. Well, I, you know, as I was praying for our team in light of these experiences or taking some hits, they're not yelling back. You know, they're they are acting Christ-like, ironically, even though they get accused of not being so. Um, But I was actually reading in my daily devotions one morning when this is happening, that scripture in John where Jesus says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. That's and- the thing. And I, I'm so proud of these guys because, I I mean, they're testifying. And these legislators know they represent faith. They, they, they know that this is coming from a place of what we believe. And that is really important because it does open the door for gospel conversations. As hard as those things are, mm-hmm. um, the follow-up conversations, I mean, these— our team actually goes back into those legislators' offices, and sometimes it opens the door once everything's cooled down a little bit. It opens the door for an actual conversation about why do we love you but disagree with, for example, that marriage in any between any parties is okay. Yeah. Why do we love you but also stand strong on God's principles on marriage and sexuality? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the behind the scenes report. Let's get into what was being reported in the news headlines because there have been some pretty big victories in the parental rights area. And if these bills get to the governor's desk, this is going to be national news and and it will have a huge ripple effect around the nation. So let's talk first about the bill that passed the Senate floor this week. Now, we have talked about that in other shows, um, but now it's gone even further. It's really progressing significantly. And this bill would allow parents to review sexually explicit content. Yeah, this was the bill that was hot during the election. People were talking about it, you know, on the campaign trail and debates. And now it's a bill and it has passed the Senate. This is a big deal for anything to pass the Senate. You got to get bipartisan support. That's just the nature of our Senate and the makeup. And so it couldn't be something that only one party supported. And so we got it through committee. We talked about that a little bit before um, with two Democrats that voted in committee. And boy, was it a nail biter because right before the vote, we started hearing that there was some concern. Before that the, the Senate floor Right vote. before the floor vote, yeah. we started hearing that there's some concern that the, the language might be too broad. And we thought we were losing these votes that we had. And in fact, we did lose one of the Democrats, which would have been enough. I mean, it's really you have to have because uh, that particular day, a Republican was actually absent. So you, it's also who's literally sitting in their seats. Um, long story short, we picked up a new Democrat on the floor that we didn't expect. Um, Senator Monty Mason actually voted for it. And so um, it did pass with bipartisan support. And it's a big deal because, as you mentioned, you know, the House is the easier road to, to get through and we expect it to pass the House. And so we think it'll go to the governor. Yeah, and I was sitting with Laura Murphy, the mom that largely inspired this bill, watching them debate this. We're, you know, we're getting texts, this Democrat's not going to vote. We don't know about this one. It really was a a nail-biting moment. And then when the vote came, it was fast. And I, I think it's really amazing that it comes down to one or two votes. And I think that really shows how your voices, the voices of our listeners are so important. Um, I know for a fact that there were some conversations with parents with these Democrats 
right beforehand that voted for this that I think were providentially significant. Oh, without a doubt. It requires everybody engaging. It requires really good, thoughtful conversation. Around. There was great conversation on the, the Senate floor. You know, uh, it's interesting when you hear what is the defense of voting against it. That is interesting for people to hear. Why would you not want parents to have this option? But all that to say, that was not the only big thing that happened that day. I will mention another big vote because it's important to a lot of parents was also the mask issue. That's just a big deal. And so there was another vote on it was on a bill of whether kids are going to have to wear a mask to school or not. You know, the governor had an executive order. It went to court. It's been a big I mean, it's been a big thing. And that actually passed the Senate with a bipartisan vote, too. So this was just a big day. That one came down to one or two Democrat votes. That's exactly right. Um, Interestingly, probably the most passionate person on the Senate floor was a Democrat senator, Senator Chap Peterson. Um, He just I mean, he just laid it out. Parents rights. I mean, really, uh, ultimately, that the parents there has to be an off ramp at some point to this pandemic and the way that we're handling it. And he just laid it out that parents are ready and they want it. Mm hmm. All right. I want to go back to the parental rights one real quick and just ask you a question because you said some of the arguments against it were interesting. What were some of the most ridiculous arguments that you heard on the floor them trying to argue against this bill? Uh, Senator Hashmi's speech was pretty jaw-dropping for parents um, that actually (laughs) pay attention because she basically said there are things that the government needs kids to know and they ought to be exposed to them. She really did say, like, it is totally appropriate that they get this exposure in the public school. And I, I, I think for most parents, they go, we get to decide when we expose our children to things and whether that's appropriate. But just her speech was, I mean, we had a senator pop up on the Republican side who said, I wasn't planning to speak, but this was outrageous. You know, I mean, it was sort of like, I almost have to say something now. Yeah, I mean, that means that she thinks the public school's job is not academics, but actually what, secularization or, you know, desensitizing? I mean, what does that mean they think their job is? It scares me. What else do they think our yeah. kids need from the government? I don't want to know. All right. Well, what happens now? Where do both of these big bills go? Um, help us understand the process at this point. Well, the the thing is, these bills are only through one side of two chambers. And so Um, This week earlier was the last day where a bill could be heard in the chamber that it originated in. So this means if it was a House bill, it had to have had a floor vote on the House by earlier this week. Mm. Same thing as the Senate. And so therefore, if a bill hasn't been heard, wasn't given a favorable vote, it's done. It's dead. You're not going to see it again. If it did get a favorable vote, now it's going to the opposite chamber. So these Senate bills we're talking about are now headed over to the House. And now you see, okay, there's a whole other body. What do they think about it? That's when you're going to start really getting a feel of what is the governor going to have a possibility of actually signing into law? And that's known as crossover week. Crossover week. week. Yep. Why is that a significant time just in a capsule? Well, it's significant because it's the it's the moment where it's a make or break for every okay, piece of legislation. Yeah. Thanks for joining us for Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. If you're enjoying the show, help us encourage others to speak up by giving us a five-star review and sharing it with friends. Thanks for listening. Well, there was also some bad news coming out on the parental rights front, especially concerning several bills that parents were really passionate about, including this one that would have repealed the effort to force all schools in the state to adopt this Richmond-based transgender issue policy. That died in committee, right? Yeah. In fact, that was introduced both on the House and the Senate side. So it actually died in two different committees at the hands of a bipartisan vote, meaning there's people on both sides that 
fucked this idea that we got to get this thing cleaned up in the code and not have these localities have this pressure to mandate bathroom policies and whatnot. Yeah, and unfortunately, one of them was a Republican from Chesterfield, Kerry yeah. Coiner, yeah. that helped yeah. that go down. Yeah, and there were some Republicans on the Senate side. We've got a, we've got. I mean, it, people who think, oh, you guys must be partisan, or you, you know, uh, I'll tell you, we got problems on both sides when it comes to uh, LGBT type issues. There's this idea that tolerance somehow um, trumps safety in trumps this case, parental rights, and parental rights. Yeah. Well, at this point, that means the way this would have to be addressed would be through the Secretary of Education and the state superintendent actually going in and leading the way and rewriting the policy to address some of these serious parental concerns. So just to let people know where that's ending up. Um, but I do want to mention there was another nail-biter vote last week, and that was on the Tim Tebow bill. Tell us about that real quick. Yeah, it's named Tim Tebow. Most people know him as a football star. But what they don't always know is that he was homeschooled and yet was able to play on his public school sports team because Florida has this concept. Well, so do 30 other states. But Virginia does not allow our homeschoolers to play on their public – to even try out. It's not like you'd get a spot, but just to be able to show up at tryouts. So that's what this bill is. It's been going for it for many years, and it just – has hit a lot of roadblocks. So this was really exciting. It got out of the committee and it actually, on a nail-biting vote, we had we picked up a Democrat, uh, you know, this this got across the line because we lost some Republicans. Again, these are bipartisan things happening. It's it's kind of wild to, to watch them actually go down. So these bills on the parental rights review of sexually explicit curriculum, the mask, whether students, parents can choose whether their student wears a mask, the Tim Tebow bill, they could potentially go to the governor's desk. They right? could. I would say the ones coming from the Senate to the House have a better chance because we have to see what the Senate thinks about this homeschool sports issue. And the Senate okay. is, is kind of a tough sled That's over there. still a battle That's then. Yeah. So it's still a battle. But boy, uh, it'd be pretty amazing. That'd be um, exciting. I think there are a lot of homeschoolers that would like that opportunity. All right. Well, I just want to take a minute to remind people that the next two weeks are really key to these issues we're talking about that you care about on parental rights, life, marriage. So... Be sure to be getting our email alerts and our text alerts. You can sign up for that easily at familyfoundation.org. And also, I would like to point you to our blog on the website that is updated pretty much every day right now during the session. You you can get pretty much day-to-day reports um, if you just go and look for our blog. So that's familyfoundation.org. Well, I want to go back to the good news real quick. And I think we should also mention what happened with the marriage issue. We talked earlier about my colleague Josh getting verbally attacked on that. But there was actually good news despite that attack, right? Yeah. I mean, the good news was the reason that was such a sensitive issue was the committee killed the bill in the House. And so there is still a Senate bill. It is still we're going to have a full Senate floor vote. We may we may lose it in the Senate. We may actually have unbelievably a majority that will vote for this polygamous marriage constitutional amendment. But it will come to that same House committee if it comes over. So we had a House committee kill the House version. The Senate bill may come over, but it will hit that same House committee. So we think that bill is most likely dead for the year. Now, I will say they were doing all sorts of parliamentary tricks to try to find ways around that committee, but I I think we'll be okay. Okay, just in case you're getting a little lost in the weeds here, let me just remind everybody what this is about. So they were trying to change the definition of marriage in the state constitution. Not only were they trying to remove protection of man-woman marriage, but they were trying to totally redefine it to allow um, 
no limit on the number of people, basically, that could get married or who's getting married. Yeah, they tried to claim it was all about same-sex marriage, but they literally didn't limit it to two parties. So it has forced us to talk about that this is more than yeah. even what you're claiming you want, right? Um, which is an important conversation because truly what's interesting is if you ask those legislators, they don't want you to talk about polygamous marriage because that's un- uncomfortable, but they also can't actually oppose it because if marriage is not a man and a woman... And, and then limited to two people. Then why do they have to limit it to two people? There's really no reason. If it's not about you know, um, progeny and all that. It's just, it's irrelevant. So, And so in order to change the Constitution, though, they they had voted on this in 2020. They were going to have to get it through both chambers again, and then it would have to go to the people of Virginia. So they probably won't, we're we're praying, it looks good right now, not get it through both chambers. So that's the good news. That is the good news. And it's a big deal, because I can't imagine having to run a statewide campaign to try to block this at the ballot. Yeah. All right, so we are getting a lot of questions about what's happening on the pro-life front in the General Assembly. Help us understand that. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of great pro-life ideas. I think this year's session is centering in on two key bills. And the two bills are, first, the uh, Baby Born Alive Act. You've probably heard about this. Most people have heard about this at the federal level, at the state level. This is the idea that once a child is born, if if an abortion is actually not completed correctly. If a child is born, we're going to let that child live. We're going to do everything we can to have that child because they're they're alive. This actually, this debate got real hot after our Governor Northam made it sound like there was still a decision to be made after the child was right, born. That they could leave the baby, that on, they the could leave the baby on the table and make a decision. I mean, that is the most horrifying thing. But even in that environment, we could not get that bill passed even that year when that conversation was hot. We do have a more favorable General Assembly, but I don't know that it'll pass this year. But it's but it's a conversation that needs to have. It's a law that needs to be on the book. So that's one. And the other big one is simple informed consent. We had it for years. Women deserve to know and to agree to, you know, this. It's giving them information about their pregnancy. This is the probable gestational age of your child. This is what it looks like at this point. So it's kind of here's all the information. We want to make sure that you don't regret your choice for lack of knowledge. Um, and so it's a pretty basic bill. We had it on the books for 20 years, but the mm-hmm. liberals repealed it. And so it's mm-hmm. trying to put that back. So those are kind of, that's kind of where the conversation's centering on those two bills. And keep in mind, these are things that you would think in a healthy society, most people should be able to agree on, that in a civil society, a humane society, we have efforts to save a baby's life that's just laying on the table or after it's born, Um, that in a civil, humane society, women have basic education on um, serious, possibly complicated procedure, that they have basic information informed consent. So if we can't get agreement on that or, you know, liberals are speaking against that, I think that really does expose the extremism that still exists some of our leadership. Yeah, and I think they know the Senate Education and Health Committee has has defeated even simple bills like this. So they know that the House knows it may or may not pass, but this is really important conversation. The voters need to know that these senators are that extreme. Yeah, because it is delegates too. Because there's plenty things. of people that'll yeah. vote against it in the House, but voters have the right to know that they that we can't even get to basic information or a child that's alive being saved. So it may take us another year, hopefully, where the Senate also becomes more conservative, so we may need to have persistence on some of these issues. That's exactly right. I mean, yeah. sometimes you do vote on legislation to set up the conversation in an election because you hope there'll be a challenger that believes differently. Well, it's that time again. 
Time for our Inconceivable Moments Award. This is where we're featuring examples of the absolute lunacy and craziness that happens when cultural leaders try to give guidance completely apart from biblical principles. And we're calling this the Liberals' Most Inconceivable Moments Award. Inconceivable! Well, this week's Inconceivable Moment can almost start out like a bad joke. You've got a state senator, her so-called cannabis store, and Lucky Charms. That's right. State Senator Louise Lucas is co-owner of a cannabis or I guess marijuana store where they sell things like cannabis laced Lucky Charm cereal bars and something called infused slushies. Every time I see that phrase infused slushies, I just think it sounds wrong. It's just kind of weird and creepy. But infused slushies. Are you just like Walking down to 7-Eleven to get a slushie, only instead you're walking down to the local pot shop. Well, that's oh. what I was thinking. My kids love slushies. And I'm literally thinking, like, somebody walks out of there. Like, it looks like a 7-Eleven. It's a disaster. Especially because, like, a slushie is not something that you would, like, take home to consume because it's going to be melty and not, like, it's just going to be juice at that point by the time you get home. you don't home. get in the car with your so that means slushie. You're... Drinking and driving. You have thought way too much about this infused slushy <laughs> I'm just thinking usually slushies are kid products. I mean, how many adults? Well, all do we like, all go in and buy slushies? Maybe I'm the only well, one that doesn't buy slushies no, no, no. anymore. But I'm sitting here going, so an, a kid walks into the cannabis store to get a slushie or an adult walks in and they go, out of all the choices of how I want my marijuana, I want a slushie. All these I sound like kid hey, products. Yes, As they you, do. Yeah. First of all, a lot of them are kid products. And second of all, if you've got the munchies, like... <laughs> And the, and the news article said, I thought it said there was a bowl of free laced Doritos there too. Yeah, there so, was Doritos. I will they say had, my husband adult samples. does eat a lot of Doritos. Don't so. hit him there. <laughs> they had samples of Doritos and I think Cheetos. I think. I think it was Cheetos. I think it was Doritos. Also, but, can we just well, talk about I, the, I think inf- it was both. the infused part? So, like, I think about when I hear that word, my friend owns an infusion center. So, I literally think about what happens at an infusion center. Well, it's monoclonal. Like, so, it's you know, scary. during COVID, it was like, I'm thinking, like, infused. But, I mean, I know it's marijuana, but it's just, like, that's so confusing. But there's just a little problem with all this beyond what we've already been talking about. Because while you can't possess marijuana legally in our state now, it's actually still not legal yet to sell it, Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that may mean that we now have a senator who appears to be breaking state law because there was an actual investigation by a media outlet into this. And it revealed that her store located on High Street, by the way, I just have to say that, uh, (laughs) sold products that included levels of THC not yet legal to sell in Virginia. Plus, many of these products were just inaccurately labeled or even mislabeled as far as the amount of THC. And just to remind people, THC has to do with the um, substance that the how much of THC is in there determines how much of it is intoxicating or not, basically. So this is actually a dangerous medical issue because when you think about it, for this stuff to be mislabeled, you know, and you're dealing with a controlled substance like this, you could actually end up in the emergency room or, you know, consuming high levels of intoxicating substance without even knowing it. And that doesn't even get into this issue with it getting into kids' hands. Well, the crazy part about this whole thing is that what we're trying to block in the General Assembly are these shops being made legal that sell products like gummies. We've been talking about things like gummies and other products that kids will get their hands on. And sure enough, we're not even at legalization and we've got a shop that's taking advantage of cannabis laws to do exactly what we're worried about and it may not be on purpose i i can't say what the intent is or exactly you know whether there's going to be an actual uh prosecution of this the point is we got things that look an awful lot like what we're trying to prevent as they consider this whole legalization issue 
And my understanding is she is one of the deciding votes on the whole marijuana issue at the Capitol right now. Yeah, this is a big problem. There should be no way that a senator that owns a shop that connects to, in any way, shape, or form, marijuana should be able to vote on these bills. So I I hope she would just simply recuse herself. That is the the kind of the correct thing to do. And I, I don't know... It's complicated. We have, unfortunately, other examples of legislators that sometimes don't step out when they really shouldn't vote on things. So we'll have to wait and see how this goes down. It does seem like that would be the good faith ethical thing to do, especially when you're the one that sponsored the whole marijuana legalization. Didn't she sponsor it? Yes, she was. She's been involved from the beginning. Little I didn't even know. You know, I mean, I think a lot of folks didn't realize. But, you know, certainly at the point at which you can make profit off of your vote, you literally can pocket, you know, you know, extra income because it changes the nature of your business. Yeah. That's where you really should step out. And there's been other crit that she's been using her forum, both as a state legislator and a sponsor of the bill to legalize marijuana. Yeah, I just need to read this tweet she sent out recently. She says, I'm a 78-year-old grandma who legalized pot and now has her own cannabis store. And I'm the last thing standing between the GOP and total control of Virginia. That's worth a retweet. What do you think about that, Victoria? Well, honestly, it just reminded me that she's 78 years old and she's been making bad votes for like 20 years. It kind of reminded me like, isn't it time to like go home and be with her grandchildren? I really could use not having this vote and some other votes that she casts on abortion in the General Assembly. Well, we're laughing about it, but the sad reality is this does have a trickle-down effect when lawmakers don't follow the law. I mean, think about the Bible verses that tell us. It clearly warns us that when justice isn't honored or crime isn't punished, there's a verse specifically about that in Ecclesiastes. People are encouraged to do more wrong. There's actually more lawlessness, obviously. Well, I guess this means this week's Inconceivable Award has to go to Senator Louise Lucas and her laced lucky charms for increasing lawlessness while making law. Thanks for joining us for this week's Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. Visit us at familyfoundation.org. That's familyfoundation.org. See you next time. And don't forget, we are stronger when we speak together.